Welcome to the Modern Mamas Podcast. We're here to provide a safe space for open dialogue, insights, and anecdotes about empowered pregnancy, labor, delivery, parenthood, and everything in between with zero judgment and open hearts and minds. I'm Jess, a level one CrossFit trainer, a birth fit coach, and a licensed and certified athletic trainer. I have my master's degree in kinesiology, and I am currently studying to be a certified nutrition consultant. I'm the blogger behind Hold the Space Wellness, as well as a mama to two small kiddos. And I'm Laura, a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, birth fit Santa Cruz regional director, and mama to Evie Wilder. I'm also the woman behind Radical Roots, where you'll find recipes, fitness insights, travel tips, consulting, and more. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We are so happy you're here. Hey guys, welcome to episode 25 of the Modern Mamas podcast. We are, I'm like legitimately over the moon for this episode. I cannot wait. We've had so much interest and positive feedback um, for this special guest that we're going to have on today. And I'm going to keep you guys waiting in suspense to introduce her while we do our check-in. But just want to throw it out there. We are going to drop some major knowledge bombs on you all today. Um, but it's not like her name is going to be in the title of the episode. <laughs> know, or we haven't been promoting it or they haven't clicked on the episode, but you know, we'll just, we'll keep it suspenseful in our own little world here. Um, so we're going to do a really quick check in Laura and I, and then we're going to just jump into the topic. So Laura, what's going on in your world right now? Since we last talked like two days ago, <laughs> um, Evie is four months old today. Um, but it's funny cause when this airs, she will be five months old cause we're recording this in a little bit ahead of time. Um, and we had a really good night last night. She is teething. And so evenings, which Jess and I just learned, or at least I just learned that when they're teething, it's worse. The fussiness and the pain is worse in the evenings because there's more growth hormone at that point. So it's all making sense, but she's not like terribly upset. She just kind of wants to be held and talked to in the evenings. Um, and as long as she's got that, she's pretty happy. But yeah, that's where we're at. And I finally committed to a sleep sack. I've been looking. It's I posted in our Modern Mamas tribe that I was looking for a good sleep sack, like a wearable blanket for her at night because it's starting to get a little bit cooler. And I went with a Wolino. Um, I'll link to it in the show notes. But I swear I looked at 800 sleep sacks over the course of the past week. And I finally, yeah, and I finally settled on one. So I'm pretty excited. Um, you can tell that life is really exciting over here if I'm not <laughs> about a sleep sack, but it's the little thing. So yeah, that's yeah. What about you? Nothing new in my world. That's significant. Um, still plodding along in the yoga adventures of yoga and Jess, um, world, which has been interesting. I was telling Laura and our friend Kim today that yoga for me is harder than CrossFit. <laughs> and that's like saying a lot because CrossFit's fairly difficult. Um, but having to like be present and the yoga studio that I'm at is like all hot yoga, which I don't even really know the terms. Like I've heard Bikram and like vinyasa and all this stuff. I'm, I'm not totally familiar with it yet, but, um, it was challenging this morning. I was definitely feeling it. So, um, adventures in yoga has been fun. I'm trying to think if there's anything else cool going on. That's pretty much it. Just getting back into the swing of things, getting it back into some self-care, um, kind of getting to that stage where my kiddos are a little bit more independent and it's, it's been fun. So 
that's that's my life in a nutshell right now. <laughs> I love it. I'm nursing Evie, or I was, and she kind of wants nothing to do with it right now. So <laughs> sorry, you guys, if you hear some noise in the background. She just wants to be a part of this podcast, and so she that's is. what's going to happen. She's our third <laughs> co-host. She's honorary. Yeah. <laughs> looking at the screen that's right. <laughs> <laughs> screen time early um yeah. so let's jump in because we have so much good stuff to cover here um I want to introduce to you our very special guest we got connected to Eliza um through Liz Wolf so um Liz Wolf could not stop talking and singing <laughs> her praises and was just telling us how life-changing her experience with Eliza was and how amazing it was for her relationship with um, her own kiddo. And so we had to have her on. We just have to. And she's probably going to end up being like a 10-part series at this point because she has so much knowledge. It's crazy. So here's a little bit about Eliza. Um, She's a certified infant developmental movement educator, an aware parenting instructor, a body-mind-centering practitioner, a trained, I'm going to butcher this, Felden Crace. Felden Crace? Yep. Okay. Don't put it on the end. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Practitioner. Eliza respects babies as whole people who enter the world knowing how to communicate, learn, and self-heal within relationship. Her conscious baby practice employs a unique approach to baby-led, I-can-do-it-myself milestone development, as well as attunement to nonverbal cues and crying. Eliza's life-changing perspective and respectful solution Solutions toward common parenting questions transcend typical parenting advice. Her work addresses babies on the well baby spectrum and those experiencing challenges such as motor delay, difficulty in tummy time, and hip dysplasia. I'm so excited to hear more about all of your like your specialties. <laughs> but Laura is going to introduce our topic. So tell her, tell our tell our friends what we're going to talk about today. So today we're going to talk about aware parenting in general. So if you guys want to look back to our episode with Liz Wolf, that's kind of a nice intro, um, episodes eight and nine, because we couldn't fit it all in one. And then we're going to talk, so we're going to talk, we're going to get more in depth specifically about aware parenting and then also talk about how to implement it as it relates to sleep, which I know we did a whole sleep episode. I'll also link to that one, but people, we still have questions. I know I still have questions. So, um, sleep, working on sleep and ensuring that we're, you know, helping our kiddos find sleep while still embracing, for me at least, it's important for me to still embrace the aware parenting method. So I'm super excited to get into this today. Yeah. And that sleep episode was, was super more like environment and like, you know, the, Mm. the science behind actual sleep. And I know we talked a lot about in that episode, the, the main thing is, is relationship with your kiddo and the emotions, um, addressing that first and foremost. So I'm excited to hear what Eliza has to say. Yay, thanks so much. Yay! We're so glad you're here. Thank you. (laughs) So now we get to finally hear her voice. I know. (laughs) (laughs) This is exciting. Yeah, so Eliza, we're going to jump in. Um, Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you found this, I would call it a calling or a passion, how you got to where you are now, and kind of what you're doing in this realm um, as far as like you know, making a living for yourself and your practices and, and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, let me start too by saying, yeah, shout out to Liz as well. She's so articulate about Mm -hmm. this stuff. So she's great to listen to as well on this podcast. Um, so a personal tidbit before the official stuff, 
I'm a dancer and a highly sensitive person. So that's HSP in the sense of Elaine Aaron's work um, on highly sensitive persons. So what that means is I'm really good with movement and picking up on cues that often will go unmissed. And those two things make me really good at speaking baby. (laughs) (laughs) So of movement and nonverbal cues and communicating with a preverbal child. So um, so I, I went from dance into body-mind centering. So the body-mind centering approach is it's about movement facilitation, body systems, but um, it's an approach to health and awareness. But the underlying current of it is infant development. So that's how I went into the developmental movement piece. And then I added aware parenting from there. So Aletha Salter, who um, is author, um, is this, Aware Parenting is her work. Her daughter, Sarah, is one of my closest friends. When I used to live in Colorado, Sarah, um, Sarah and I were involved in a, a music and dance thing called Revels. And so I knew Sarah for a whole entire year um, before I knew what her mother did. One day we're at a picnic table and she's like, you know, my mom wrote a book about babies. And I'm like, maybe I should read it. (laughs) (laughs) And the rest is history. (laughs) We're parenting. And so here we are. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Um, My passion to kind of like, so that's, that's kind of how I got there. But my passion comes partly out of enthusiasm and partly out of frustration. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The enthusiasm is around that babies are people. So really my whole entire perspective is based on babies are people and they come in with, with amazing capabilities, with innate abilities around communication, movement, confidence, compassion, um, that if you can foster and if you know how to foster, um, it's just pretty astounding. Um, the frustration part is that many of today's common parenting practices will tend to override those innate abilities. So sometimes you end up teaching children something that gets overridden inadvertently. And this is, this is not anyone's fault. It's just kind of society and, and and the tendencies that we have in society and um, especially around emotional patterns and, and just generations. And so, and advertising, yeah, <laughs> advertising marketing toward new parents is a huge part of this. So, so it's kind of those things together. Yeah, that's, I, I think you kind of hit it spot on. We were actually having this conversation um, a couple of days ago about how we have to really fight, Laura and I and, and, you know, the circle of friends that we are a part of really believe in like aware parenting and like we really, really try to practice that daily. But even us, because of the way our parents raised us, we have to really fight to to go against those those like initial gut reactions to like say Mm -hmm. things or do things to just like, for instance, like stop someone, stop your kiddo from crying. It's like, 
you know, in the back of my mind, I hear my dad telling me like, you know, I'm going to give you something to cry about if you really want to cry, you know? And it's like, I do never want to say that to my kid, but it's like, it's like this little tiny, like chirping, you know what I mean? That is, thank you for saying that. And that is exactly why this stuff is so important right now in the first year and first months is that the stuff goes in, I mean, it's consciously like you were, you have that memory of what you said, but it's also subconscious. Like the stuff goes in so early and so deep. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like this, you're kind of fighting that urge. So it's like sometimes what feels like instinct is actually learned habit from right. how we were raised. And mm-hmm. so it's wading through that stuff and like, are you really doing what you're intending to do in the ways that you know, we're handling or interacting with our babies? Yeah. So, yeah. So um, this is kind of a tangent. I feel like we're going to go off on a million of these. But for instance, I, I, I have a four-year-old and a 15-month-old. And I know a lot of parents are finding us and they have maybe older kiddos, like not older, but, you know, four or five. Um, and they haven't been practicing aware parenting. And looking back, there might be a lot of guilt in the fact that, oh, my gosh, like I, I screwed this up. Like my kid's never going to, we're never going to be able to go back to establish this connection. Um, are, is it, is it a lost cause? Can you start with a four-year-old and start working to establish connection or what would you say to someone who's kind of in that position? That's a great question. Yes. You can always, always start at any age. Um, there are always doors at every age to get into it. Um, and Aletha Salter's books go all the way up through like, I think, there's one book that goes into teenager and maybe even the twenties. Oh wow! Um, so yes, that's amazing. There's <laughs> yes. hope for us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it's like it's always tricky this thing because the first year is critical for so many reasons. But it's like I say that aware of all of those angles at the same time, like. Um, there is a reason like you know to be honest there is a reason we look at this stuff in the first year Mm -hmm. and there is a difference often when that's when we can start those foundations in the early years but at the same time there's also a layer it's just like there's so many layers to being human you know like there's also the layer of you'll find it when you're ready or like it will come into you when you're ready or your child is ready or the family's ready or just it's the right timing or the stars are aligned or whatever yeah. it is. And so if you didn't find it when your child was a baby, um, maybe now is the right time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's, that's totally, I'm so glad you said that. Cause we talk about that from a nutritional standpoint on the podcast. That's kind of Laura and I's background. It's that, you know, there is a window early on where establishing good gut health and preferences for food and all this stuff, you know, in the first, I think it was like a thousand days, Laura. Um, first thousand days, which yeah. is uh, pregnancy and into to two years. Yeah. And so there is that, that's, if you miss that window, it's not necessarily setting you up for just total and complete failure, mm-hmm. but um, you may have a little bit more work to do ahead of you to kind of get back to that. Um, that, that ideal nutritional state, I guess. That's a really great way to put it. Yeah. You may have a little more work to do. It's a little bit of a different work. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And you're past a certain age. Yeah, for the, um, which is, I mean, some, some is exactly the same, but some are around like changing habits and in, in, inviting new emotional relationships and patterns is a little bit different. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that was a great introduction. So if you're ready, I just want to kind of jump into the meat of it. So let's do it. Let's do it. So aware parenting. I'm like so excited that I'm like fist pumping over here. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Um, So tell us about aware parenting in general as a lifestyle, lifestyle, identifying kind of how aware parenting can help into this transition as parents and kiddos, your relationship with one another. Yeah, there's so much to talk about. Go for it. (laughs) Take it away. (laughs) So I'll start with um, some things about, like, just, yeah, identifying with aware parenting. So a few of those things, obviously, sleep challenges. Are you having sleep challenges? (laughs) Aware parenting provides a lot of support around that. But some others are, has your baby ever cried even after you feel like you've met needs? Um, and you haven't known why, or your baby has cried and you haven't been able to figure out why. So that's a, that's a key connection. Also, do you find yourself ever working really hard to either stop your baby from crying or to put your baby to sleep? So do you get exhausted as a mom or a parent getting your baby to stop crying or to go to sleep? So those, that's very connected in. I'm like raising um, my hand on all of the <laughs> check. Check, check, check. Check. Um, another one is, would your baby cry if you didn't do fill in the blank? So if you didn't nurse beyond hunger, if you didn't use a pacifier, if you didn't stand and walk or bounce or whatever it is, would your baby cry? Um, that's another one. And I so, so I'm saying these to identify with, and I know they're they and themselves will bring up questions, but we'll get to all that. <laughs> and then also, like, even I hear a lot of parents often saying, how did my angelic baby turn into a monster toddler? <laughs> so that is definitely also a big piece of this. Um, so, it, so all of these scenarios have underlying needs, and that is what aware parenting is about, I feel like, at its core, is really looking at your child's underlying needs. So all behavior, all expression, all challenges like this point to underlying needs. Their communication and their um, they're because of needs, as opposed to oh, it's just what children do, or oh, the child is acting out or being bad. They need to learn what's good and what's right and what's wrong. It's it's really more about. Let's really look between, read between the lines and really honestly look the stuff in the face and what is the underlying need here? Um, because all of that is communication to us. So, Absolutely. The starter. Okay. Very cool. I'm already like, okay, tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> so let me go into some now about just kind of what is aware parenting in general. So... It's a very highly respectful, gentle approach to parenting. Um, it's the work of Aletha Salter. She's a PhD um, in child development. Uh, it, so it's based on research about attachment, child development, the effects of trauma. And it's really also based in relationship and communication. 
so um, it's, so it's it's not attachment parenting as the thing because that's the thing in itself, but it's attachment based. Gotcha. So very founded in connection and attachment um, all through relationship. So yeah, again about about the underlying needs and then how to address the underlying needs and what to do about it. So, you know, so not to leave parents hanging with, yeah, okay, my child's behavior is telling me something, but you know what, like, what? right. <laughs> not sleeping, they're hitting, the baby's not sleeping, the toddler is hitting. So what do you do about it? So that's kind of the bridge that aware parenting will give is first, how to recognize that second, what to do about it. So, so really addressing children in ways that will foster their natural communication skills and compassion and confidence and desire to cooperate and be a part of daily life. So it's really, you can get to a really honest level with it about just really being in relationship and where you establish this trust and this bond through this honest communication early so that you maintain that throughout life with your child or your teenager. You know, you you want your teenager still to be able to come and share their lives with you. And so that starts now. Yeah, that's just, um, I'm sorry to interrupt. I know you're kind of on a roll, but like, I feel like, I don't want to speak for every mom on the planet, but like, I feel like that's kind of at the core. That's always what we want is for our kiddos to, well, yes, be independent people and be able to like go and, you know, do their thing, but also to always feel like we are home. You know what I mean? Like we're a safe space Mm -hmm. and no matter how old they are. And I, I know I wish I had that with my parents a little bit more. And so I think about that constantly. Me too. too. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that constantly. Like, what do I want when Bear is, my son's name is Bear, and, and Camille, when they are having their own kids? Like, do I want to be Beautiful. a source of strength or do I want to be someone that's like, no, she's not coming oh. over? Avoid <laughs> oh, grandma. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Yeah. And I think that speaks a lot to the inadvertent piece. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of parents, most of us, grew up with some kind of message around emotion like oh don't cry mm-hmm. or in your case don't cry I'll give you something to cry about so it might have been loving or it might have been more aggressive or even abusive in a big sense but even when it's loving it's like these patterns get set up around a child eventually might learn to okay I'm going to keep it in I can't share my honest feelings because they can't hear it. And so then as a 10-year-old, they might lie or a teenager might just keep to themselves. And it's like, it's not always on purpose, you know, as a parent. And that's kind of what I mean about our society and culture and the, and, and kind of overriding some of these abilities. But it's like parents need the information. Mm-hmm. It's just not out there. And then the cultural tendency is to override that stuff. And so then we have we end up with these inadvertent patterns that our kids grow up and, and they're like, no, we don't want you to come over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't want that to 
tell us, tell us, what do we do? <laughs> so, so it's really about like, and, and always know that all of these things I don't say in judgment, but just really like, how can we heal this stuff? Mm-hmm. Like we've really got to look this stuff in the face. I feel like to be able to heal it and change it. And so that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm after. Beautiful. <laughs> and that's what we, our podcast, I don't know if you've listened to any episodes, but we're all about, um, presenting information that is science-based, that is just, it's straightforward information. It's not, it doesn't come with judgment or guilt attached to it. Um, you know, that's really what we, we do as individuals. We kind of assign guilt and feelings to raw information. Um, and so hopefully people understand they've been listening to us long enough that all this is, is not to make you feel bad if you haven't been using these tactics, but more so to present the information. And now moving forward, you can take these concepts. And if any of this resonates with you that, you know, Eliza's talking about where I'm sure it is because we're all nodding our heads along, but, um, you can kind of move forward and try and, and like you said, heal it or change it or, or progress, you know? So thank you for saying that. I appreciate, I know our listeners appreciate that. And I think it's important to state too, that it doesn't have to be like an all or nothing. If some of this resonates, and you feel like it's going to work, then maybe starting to implement one thing at a time. And I, I mean, you're the expert, Eliza, but that's, you know, cause I know sometimes it can seem overwhelming if you're doing things a certain way and you already have like a three-year-old and it's like, I got to change everything. And I think Today. even little, yeah, yeah, little steps, one thing at a time, or just what's really going to work for you and your little, I think that's even that is just, it can be really beneficial. So there's, um, there are definitely different paces you can take this at as far as implementation um there can be eventually once you're into it there can be an all or nothing in terms of once you open this doorway because it's a lifestyle which we'll get to it's not just like a set of things to do but it's kind of this lifestyle and communication so once you open this doorway um sometimes the children themselves will take it and run with it and they will instigate the communication with you. So you might have a day when you're like, I just personally don't feel like going there. And your child is like, Hey mom, we got to talk about it <laughs> <laughs> in whatever age words they use. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it starts now. I've got a four month old and sometimes I'm already like, okay, she just, she needs to look me in the face and she needs to tell me stuff and I need to talk back. And that's the only thing that will make her feel better. And it's seriously magical. Like I I don't even have the words to express it. It's absolutely incredible. And my husband's able to put her down and soothe her back to sleep. Like it's just been last night she woke up after crying after I put her down and then she cried a little bit. He went in there. Yeah. And, and he just soothed her back to sleep and she just needed to like tell him some stuff. And that was it. <laughs> it's, so, about it. <laughs> it's so cool. It's so cool. So I'm really excited to get into the meat of this a little bit yeah. more. That's the key word for me is magical. I really also what I'm about is that magical bond that, I mean, every, hopefully every parent has that magical connection, but it just like, you really can find this magic in the in the level of trust that you can get to with this. But, um, so I'll go back to some core concepts, but we kind of went there. So let me say a, a little bit more about why aware parenting matters. We were kind of going there, but because 
Um, you know, we're kind of the political climate we're facing, the challenges that we're going through as a society, society. But then if you kind of step back from there, it's like, how do you become a member of society who is empowered and who can communicate well and have good relationships and doesn't get walked over, can stand your ground, is also compassionate? Like, how do you hold all those things at the same time? Because I feel like often we tend, we can have like a an alternate view of compassion where it's like, oh no, that's okay, you go ahead. But then people get walked on, you know, we're met or so it's really so so where parenting for me and all this work takes us back to the roots of how these things get established and grow. Like how how do you grow a generation of people who can be really effective leaders or just society members, neighbors, teachers, parents, goes back to these early patternings because, you know, like, manipulation is learned. Control is learned. I know that, I mean, there's elements of personality, but manipulation patterns, control patterns, those things, some of that is that is part of that inadvertent stuff that happens um so yeah so why it matters is really it's the in the moment stuff it's like you're a mom and you're exhausted and your baby's not sleeping it's that your baby's crying and you don't know what to do it's that but it's also communication skills and relationship skills and how is your child going to be in the future when they are meeting their loved one and having children or taking leadership roles. So that's, I got goosebumps there. I did too. I want to cry. <laughs> that's like, that's literally one of the reasons why I, I'm so involved and passionate and excited about this realm that Jess and I've gotten into with these mamas because, um, I am unhappy with the current climate of things and literally and, and figuratively. And I feel that the way we can truly make a change is by empowering moms and parents mm-hmm. who will then go and empower their children to be all those things you just mentioned. And so mm-hmm. it, it's like, gets me right, right in the good place there when you say that kind of thing, because I, I feel like being a parent is such a opportunity and a responsibility to raise, you know, compassionate, empathetic, empowered, all those things you listed, our children will become citizens of this world. And, and holding onto those traits is just, ah, it's awesome. So thank you. (laughs) I'm glad that you, that we started with that concept because it gives a little bit more fire to not just soothing a crying baby, but, and sleeping more, right. Those are important in the, in the moment. Um, but if we look bigger picture, it, it goes so far beyond that. And it's just, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I don't mean to like interrupt or like make it about me. I'm just like speaking truth as I'm reacting to what you're saying. I'm feeling, I'm very feeling slightly um, guilty, but also hopeful because um, you you don't know my whole story with my first kiddo, um, but we had really difficult labor and delivery and a NICU stay. And I had a postpartum depression, anxiety, um, really are that bonding that takes place like in the first like year 
was really compromised by my, my mental status. Um, and like, I just thinking back, like we would have to bounce him and rock him for hours and hours to sleep. And, um, there was a lot of crying, a lot of like emotional response in myself. And he's, he has always been, and I say that, and I I hate saying it like that, but to me, he has always been a spirited kiddo, um, very vocal, very verbal, very strong-willed. And even now as a four-year-old, um, we struggle with control. Um, Mm. both of us, all of us, the whole family unit. And so I'm just, um, kind of sad that I didn't find this earlier, but also, like I said, hopeful that maybe you're going to tell me something that (laughs) I can use going forward because it's just like you said, in the moment when we're here, it's, you know, the witching hour between five and seven. And it's like, we got to get dinner made and like, he's tired from school and I'm stressed from work and we, we want to get him bathed and everyone's just like freaking out. It's so easy to go to a place of like, not, (laughs) kindness if that yeah. makes sense you know what I mean I think like there's survival mode you know mm-hmm. your brain goes to survival mode and postpartum depression is a real thing and I feel like again like this just circles me back around to what one of you already said about supporting moms um and which is a whole nother podcast about <laughs> what society does to moms but right it's just, it's also, it's like this work can bring up feelings of guilt and sadness for parents, especially moms. But again, I just, I feel like babies are healers. I see babies as healers. They, they have this mechanism for themselves to work through stress, which we'll get to. But I feel like also they bring healing for anyone else in their wake who is open to it just because they make us look at our own patterns. Um, And I think it's like for parents, part of this work of aware parenting is our own journey, your own journey of the grown-up or the caregiver or the parent with them. And so, like, would you even have come around to this place without having had your first kid? So it's yeah. like he already has instigated that healing process for you, which is oh beautiful. Gosh. Oh my gosh, that just gave me the goosebumps. You're so right. <laughs> you're such. I feel like you're just like I don't know a wise wise beyond your your years. You're like imparting such amazing wisdom. It's making me want to cry. I cry quite frequently um, oh, on the, the, the podcast <laughs> and in life in general. So sorry about that. No ever apology needed. <laughs> I'm really good at listening to crying. Okay. Yay, that's why you're here. Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt. We're getting derailed, but talk to us. Um, did we cover pretty much the core concepts, I, do you think? or uh, No, let's go back to okay. that. But I, <laughs> I do appreciate what you shared because it always comes up. It will come up. Like, parents should know that this stuff will come up for most parents. And I just think it really helps to be able to have that whole perspective around what you can do in the moment. Moment. Water break. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, just the, there's the in the moment and then there's the big reality. There's just, you know, there's your feelings and what happened at the birth, your birth story and then after birth and, and the timing of finding this stuff in your journey and, and just being able to acknowledging the feelings of guilt is so important, but then you've got to also know the pathway. You have to find the pathway to move on from there, which babies do naturally around their feelings, but which we have to sometimes work around. Um, and I think when you can see things from those layers, we can kind of take, come back and get some perspective. Um, then you can find ways to, yeah, find some wholeness again. Circle back around. Okay, so <laughs> we're doing core concepts. <laughs> so many tangents on this podcast. <laughs> so, so overall, for all ages, um, again, is the meeting needs. So, so looking for underlying needs. But also recognizing stress um, and unmet needs as the main forces of sleep and behavior challenges. I really don't like the word behavior. I can't stand it, but um, it's kind of a useful word sometimes. So. <laughs> but responses, behavior, whatever. So, um, And then also how to help children heal from both daily stresses and past stuff like birth trauma. Um, so for babies, this is often about crying beyond needs. So it's always, always about meeting needs. Always about meet the basic needs first. Um, but then also when there's crying beyond those needs, what to do about it. And then also for babies, improving sleep, um, which comes as a result of understanding the stress release piece, which we'll get to. But um, so for babies, it's that, it's that piece of crying often. Um, for toddlers, we move more into understanding tantrums and what's underneath that, why they happen, why it seems like they'll get, become upset and throw a tantrum about something that's seemingly insignificant. Um, and, and also for toddlers, other difficult behaviors like biting and hitting, um, this kind of toddler things that are not... So, so that's an example of, oh, that's just what toddlers do. Well, it is what they do, but that's because that's that's how they're. That's the interpretation of the underlying need. So, so it's actually about the underlying need, not teaching about behavior. Um, and for older children, which so I I mostly do ages zero to two, expectant through age two, but so that people have the whole scope. Um, for older children, it's non-punitive democratic discipline so without punishments and rewards peaceful conflict resolution family meetings just communication um so that's that's the that's the scope of aware parenting it's beautiful <laughs> i love it we took a positive discipline i don't know how i guess it's a concept or um I'm not really sure how to like term it. We took like a little class at our son's school. He has a, a, an amazing Montessori school. Um, and they talked a lot about those same concepts with his age was, you know, okay, instead of saying go to timeout, we talk about how we can take space for yourself to go calm, 
calm down or scream or cry or whatever you need to do, like get the emotion out. And then also about, they talked a lot about, okay, so we need to eat dinner. For example, he's a four-year-old and that dinner is a struggle all the time. Um, we need you to eat dinner because it's nutritious for you. It makes you strong. It, you know, makes you feel better and all this stuff. Um, what do you think should happen if we, if you aren't, you aren't able to eat dinner? So I don't know how that kind of fits into it, but it's more of like that democratic, like, let's talk about what's fair or, you know, I don't really know. We're still struggling with that, but it's, they talk about family meetings too, to kind of just get all the feelings out and talk about anything that's, that's on anyone's mind so is it kind of a little bit of that when you get in, getting into like the older age well for the first thing you mentioned and where parenting does have a little bit of a different um, perspective on timeouts um, and taking space which I won't go into too much right now because we need the the first background yeah. information mm-hmm. to get there but um, I think and I Four is a little bit out of my specialty, but I would say that overall aware parenting is really this, it's really a a non-power over approach. And there are some, there are some parenting approaches that try to not go there, but still go there. But yeah, <laughs> they try and make it look less. So, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. But it, but it's the missing piece is to really understand what we're going to get into. I think the crying, like the stress release, because you've, you've got to understand that underlying thread in order to respond appropriately to the behavior. So it's like sometimes the ways that a parent might discipline, it's like, actually, if you kind of backtrack and look at the trail of underlying needs, there might be some different avenues to go down. So absolutely. Okay. I'm not going to interrupt you anymore. I just want to let you just talk. Please interrupt because it's, where it's good conversation. And I feel like a lot of maybe my misconceptions or things that I've struggled with other people, cause we've gotten a lot of questions and feedback about it, like the guilt and the, I'm trying this approach or this approach. And, and I feel like even me just, I'll throw myself under the bus all day. If that's going to help clarify those same issues for, yeah, for other mamas. So for yeah, sure. Definitely. definitely yeah. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Continue. Um, Do you want to like, so we could go in the direction of aware parenting as a lifestyle, or we could start kind of getting more into the how to like the big, scary topic of crying (laughs) and sleep, which might be helpful. What do you think, Laura? I'm really interested in that portion. Um, Do you think we have time to dive in? I think parents want some like actionable. This is what I can do. Yeah. Let's go there. Okay. Okay. Before we talk about sleep stuff, I want to kind of get into the crying piece because what aware parenting looks like with babies often is crying. And that can be a really big, scary thing sometimes. And so, um, if, if you're someone who feels like babies should not ever cry for an extended period of time, no matter what, hang in there because there's some information you need and it's not cry it out. So we are not talking about cry it out. Um, but 
I can say. Yeah, so... Um, oh, I wanted to say that. So as the child gets older, aware parenting is also about play. <laughs> um, because stress gets relief through laughter, too. But the core... The core of it is this understanding the stress release. So, so the crying piece is everyone knows that babies cry for basic needs like hunger, to be held, um, or we check the diaper, or are they hot or cold? So that that basic list um, or injury medical concern. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the basic. But a lot of people don't know that there's a whole second arena um, of crying, that that's crying is a need in itself. So that part is crying as a stress release. So aside from communicating, I'm hungry, etc., crying also serves the purpose for babies of stress release. It's how they communicate, process their experiences, release tensions. So... When you have that information, it really puts a different spin on when your baby is crying. Um, there's a whole added dimension about how to meet those needs. So again, it's always about, you know, go through your checklist about is, is your baby hungry, um, need to be held, etc. But it's also like, what do you do? Um, what do you, what do we do? Um, or the parents listening, when you have a stressful day or a stressful situation, um, a challenging, something happened in a relationship with a loved one, like, what do you do? Um, What do you do when you're stressed? Do you have a good cry yourself? Or do you need to talk to someone about it? Do you feel better once you talk to someone, once you get it off your chest? If there's something you really need to communicate to someone and tell someone, you feel better once you get it out. So it's the same thing for babies, really, and you can kind of look at it in those terms as well, that just like us, babies have stress, and stress is a natural part of life. It doesn't always have to be bad. Um, Chronic stress as grown-ups, obviously, is has ill effects, but stress itself is just part of life. And so babies come in with this natural, innate healing mechanism of crying um, to release that stress and process and tell us about their story, their experience. Um, and this is where we we get into, I think it's probably worth saying now how it's different from cry it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so cry it out generally has the baby crying and then the adult ignoring the crying or separating from the crying. So sometimes it looks like just, you know, leave the baby in the room and close the door. Other times there are gentle forms of cry it out, but there's still some there's still some amount of separating from the crying, like moving your chair farther back or, okay, you're going to cry, but I'm going to stay here and then I'm going to stay here. So there's still, even if, even internally, there's still a separation around the crying. So, so this, so in aware parenting, we call this crying in arms to differentiate it from cry it out. Um, 
And I often, depending on the age of your baby or child, I will rephrase that sometimes to crying in presence because a mobile baby, a baby who's moving around um, or child doesn't always want to be held. But so there are ways that you still can listen and be present. But, but for babies, it's crying in arms. So holding your baby and listening and loving while they're crying. Um, so, so to link back up to that underlying need. So, if, so when crying itself is a need, the way to meet that need is to hold and listen and accept. Um, and so again, there's several points we can flesh out in here, but cry it out. Cry it out. So a lot of parents will ask or do ask about hormones, you know, stress hormones. And and this, I think, is where the, the concern about extended crying comes out of. Because if a baby is alone crying, yes, absolutely, that is a stressful situation and for the baby. Um, so, so in that case, not only does the baby is the baby crying for the initial trigger of the stress. So whatever it was they're trying to process or let off steam about, but they're also, they've also now got this added layer of the parent removed and they're alone. So that, that will increase the cortisol, the stress hormones. And this is all in the research. Um, so that's, that's cried out, but the, but crying in arms, like the crying itself is not harmful or stressful. It's what we do with that in response. So if the baby is being held and loved and accepted and listened to, those tears actually, um, there's some research on this too, those tears will help release the stress chemicals from the body. So that type of crying is actually healing, both emotionally and physiologically. So, so, this piece of understanding crying itself as a need just puts this whole twist on like, you know, what are the solutions when your baby cries? Um, well, actually crying itself can be a solution um, in arms. So that piece. that's beautiful. Um, I'm thinking about my kiddos now. I have a fifth or she's 16 months 16 month old now and a four-year-old and it's um it's the the older phase where it's I think we had a question about this too where you know they practice aware parenting they've done crying in arms it's been beautiful but there's a now that they're mobile it's like they don't want you to hold them and they're kind of more physical like pushing you away fighting you all that stuff can you kind of touch on how you would support maybe an older child in that situation yeah um, I'm just looking at that question yeah. too. So let me say first, yeah, so I think that initially, no matter what the age is, I find that generally you are going to want to start it in arms. Um, so that's kind of that's the basic idea, but what I find is that when you've got this established, the crying in arms established as a way of life um, or a way of responding. 
that when the baby becomes mobile, like reaches that developmental stage, especially when you already have the, this connection established, they will sometimes want to move away from you, but they'll like turn and keep eye contact with you. Um, like, and I've even had a scenario where like a child was crying and the parent, like, so sometimes as parents, parents will feel, oh my gosh, I need to do something. I need to touch the baby. I need to hold my child. And the child isn't wanting to be held, but they're still looking at you and communicating at you. So it's, it's a wild journey sometimes for the parent to work out that, like <laughs> your own responses, <laughs> yeah. like, well, am I being rejected? So, but that's <laughs> a whole other thing. <laughs> so, but I've had like, you know, sometimes even the parent will approach the child and the child will move backwards. Um, and it depends on age and mobility and how much you have this established already. But, but often if the child authentically doesn't want to be held, but they're still crying and looking at you and engaging and communicating, quite often they'll come back in. So after they have their space and get it out, they'll crawl back into your arms. And this is a little bit different too than what you were mentioning about um, taking your space. Mm-hmm. So this is a very, um, and I don't, I don't know exactly what they were referring to and what that would look like, but in a way of parenting, it's, um, it's not a take space as in, okay, you go over there and cry and come back when you're ready. It's a very, like, you're very connected. Um, yeah. And the idea again, typically is in arms. It's just that I say this because this very question will come up sometimes that my baby doesn't want to be held. Yeah. What about, and I'm thinking from like my perspective, because we honestly, we use that a lot. Like, um, it's okay to like, we'll kind of verbalize. It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel your feelings. But so I have another kiddo and, you know, I have a, a dinner to make and a bath to run. It's like, I would love to sit and be present and be there with my four year old as he's like feeling all these emotions. Um, but logistically sometimes it's hard. Like I can't, cause he's been known to emote for long periods of time. <laughs> um, and so it's hard to kind of find that balance. Like how do I support him, but also meet the needs of the family unit, um, during those stressful times? Like, is that something that you come into contact with a lot? Yeah. That's something I find look, can look a little different depending on whether you've grown up with this mm-hmm. from when your child was a baby versus if you're starting it later. Um, if you've had this in place since infancy, you're I typically fine. You're going to already have this established line, two-way communication open where your child already will know that they have an outlet with you. And so it kind of makes like when, when you have the outlet open and your child can take it when they need it down the road, if you're at a time in your day or your life, well, your day where you're like, I, we can't, I can't do this right now. Like there's a boiling pot of water on the stove. You can kind of manage that in various ways. Like sometimes the child will, will just already know and be like, no, it's not <laughs> or they might they trust so well that you are listening and they will go ahead and like, it just it depends on how you've grown up with the relationship right. but sometimes you can listen at the same time and sometimes it'll wait for later 
um, if it's something that you're just starting as a family, um, it depends. Sometimes this actually relates to the same question. Um, as a baby gets into toddlerhood, it can take longer for a cry to build up. <clears throat> it just so as to her question about um, she'd been practicing since six months. The child is now 13 months. It's more challenging to get a release. Very, very common at 13 months. I'm not at all surprised to hear her say that. Um, assuming it was a mom, the parent. Um, yeah, it can become more. It can just take longer for the sad, for enough sads to build up to have a big cry. So if you're just starting it, so that's a little different. She's been doing it since six months. If you're just starting it when your child is 13 or 14 or 15 months, um, it's not necessarily as easy to just sit down and and be like, okay, do you need to cry? I'm listening, like it is for babies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the toddler at that age, sometimes it takes a pretext um, or attention to get the cry out. So, so it's kind of a it's a back and forth. Um, so, if you're cooking or something and you you're just starting, you might actually want to turn the stove off, stop cooking, go sit down, and do it right then. Right. Um, if you have another child, like there, there's so many factors that depend on the family. Individual, yeah. If there's another child, then, you know, sometimes you can do, sometimes one cry will trigger the other cry, and then you're like, yes, family cry. Which <laughs> That's a good way to rephrase it, because I'm like, oh my gosh, sitting here like, I'm crying. Everyone's <laughs> crying. Like, is this helping? Which, <laughs> Even that, like, I, okay, so I get really excited when kids have a cry, and uh, I know most people are like, oh, no, my child. <laughs> but, but that is, like, yeah, use the opportunity. If one's having a cry and the other cry, like, great opportunity to get it out and listen to everybody. But also there's another layer of the parent, like, depending on where you are with it. So if this is something you've done all your child's life, you're going to be very practiced at it. But if it's very new to you and you weren't raised this way and you're still figuring out your own journey with it, then you're going to have likely your own stuff, your own feelings come up at some point in there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is that okay? I mean, that's what I always wonder. Like, am I scaring my child by saying I'm upset, like telling him how I feel like or I'm angry or like being honest with him about my feelings or showing him like myself, like having a, a sob fest, like, is that harming the ch- the kiddo or is that actually part of the process, like teaching them compassion? Well, largely, you know, if we're, if we're wanting them to open up and cry, we also can be a model for that. You know, I'm sad and I'm crying. Like, yeah, I cry too. Yes. You cry sometimes. I cry sometimes, you know, partly it is, it's that honesty and that honesty relationship yeah um I think there is a time you know if it's there there may be certain situations if I don't know if you and your partner are having difficulties or you know there are I think there are some things that you don't necessarily want to your child to feel like they're taking on responsibility Mm -hmm. but you know, if everyone's having a hard day or you're, you're thinking about the birth story or, 
you just moved and everyone's kind of stressed out. It's yeah. I mean, it's, it's real life and yeah. it's real people and it's, um, you're doing, you're showing that you you're doing exactly what you're wanting to your, your child to open up. Right. And I think you kind of hit it on the head. It's like communicating that you're having these feelings, maybe not necessarily saying, I'm upset because your dad and I are going to get a divorce or whatever. I mean, that's, that's something way beyond their comprehension. And like you said, they don't need to necessarily understand the complexities of like that situation. But I mean, you can't say I'm upset because what, however you want to like phrase it, something that's more relatable for them, I guess, you know, like I just had a hard day or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like even if there is, you know, we're going to have a divorce. Even if that's going on, they're going to feel it. Yeah. So it can help to acknowledge that stuff because your child is going to feel it. And even mm-hmm. to be like, it's not your fault. Right. It's our stuff. But yeah. Yeah. So just kind of like a fine line. Some of that yeah. stuff maybe is what you and your partner need to work out. Yeah. With kid. But, but you know, if you're having a hard day, then you get to cry too. <laughs> That's good. Thank you for, I mean, cause I honestly, I know again, we're getting off on a tangent. We're probably not going to hit everything that we wanted to today, but we'll just go for it. Um, it's something worth saying because I feel like a lot of parents have grown up to feel like it's not okay to cry themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think crying in your children brings up all these feelings in yourself because of what, you know, you've been taught or, um, it's like you said, it's like you're, you're teaching them, but you're also learning through the process about what you're dealing, like your own stuff that you're dealing with. So I feel like it's kind of like a natural, natural to have those feelings come out as you start to dive into this as a lifestyle. I mean, I'm assuming you're, like I said, you're the expert, but that's what I'm going through right now. I'm struggling because it's like, Oh, like I have all these feelings and it's, I know this is a good thing, but it's also kind of scary as an adult. Mm-hmm. I know our, our listeners know that I've been doing therapy for a while. I started long before I got pregnant and I'm still doing it now. And I've grown to become more comfortable in my emotions and more present in them. Um, still have some work to do. Obviously we're always a work in progress, but yesterday I had kind of a tough day and I was um, holding Evie and I started, I was crying because it was just like, it was just a tough, tough morning. And she looks up at me and just starts like smiling. <laughs> and so I'm wondering if that reaction is in any way, um, I don't know, because I was expressed, I guess kids can show empathy to their parents. I imagine, um, if they're in an okay place and mom is, or dad is struggling with something, you know, it, it was, it, and it like switched my mood looking down at her. I was like, everything's going to be okay. You know, but I, I found it interesting. I'm wondering if you have thoughts on that too. Yes, that's beautiful. I'm glad you shared that. Um, babies, this is the piece about the innate compassion that when babies have been, babies and children have been listened to, so when they've felt their feelings and they've been listened to and received and accepted for them, they maintain that innate compassion because they can recognize it in someone else. And also because they've, been listened to they understand how to listen to others and and so um so that can go two ways one is that if 
if you have some habits in place, well, we haven't even gone here yet, but um, <laughs> if you have, most parents do have some kind of habit in place to stop the crying, unless you know this information already, you probably have something that you do that stops the crying. So whether it's nursing for comfort, pacifier, et cetera. Um, if that's been, you know, if you didn't have this information before and you've always learned or been taught or known that you should stop the crying, babies can learn pretty early on that they need to not cry. So I've seen it really clearly in five months. It happens, it can happen earlier than that, but um, where like your five month old will, will be crying with one, with one person, a different person walks in and suddenly smile face, stop crying, <laughs> smile face, hand, fist in mouth, smile, because they've already learned that. And again, not a judgment, it's just what happens with these emotional patterns. Um, so, so if you've had some habits in place like that and you you could get a smile out of it that way. Like they've learned, oh, don't cry. So then they kind of like, are, oh, don't cry. But but it's also this other thing of this natural, like, yes, if they've been listened to and they've cried, um, they recognize you when you're having a challenge. And if they're in an okay place, they're in an okay place, which is a whole nother cool thing about aware parenting that when you can keep this flow of emotions open, it really keeps them in tune with their gut feelings and they trust themselves. And so when they're okay, they're okay. When they're sad, they're sad. When they're happy, they're happy. And it really like, they're really okay. Like it's, it's really this deep feeling of okayness. I have another question. <laughs> um, Go ahead. And before you yeah. say it, just to your point, Laura, also I've, I've had twins before. Um, not me, but people, families I've worked with and, and seen like of the twins, one would cry like at five and seven months, nine months. And the other one would like put the hand on the shoulder and like turn the head and lift in. And then the other, and the other twin would be like, (laughs) (laughs) so sweet. I love it. I really do. It makes me, I don't know. It just makes me, um, like I get goosebumps everywhere because it's amazing the power of emotion and like being we I know so many people have been taught from such a young age like we've talked about before don't cry and it's not okay to feel emotions and you got to save that for when you're at home or in private but I think that it's pretty powerful to be able to express emotions around people and know that it's okay to feel the things that you need to feel because bottling stuff up man that that can take a toll and on a kid and then and you, we see people now who are you know, really struggling. And it's because it's maybe potentially because it's been a lifetime of holding that stuff in or being taught that it's not okay to feel those things. Mm -hmm. And it's got to come to a head at some point. (laughs) That bottled up stuff, it it can come out as babies, like with sleep challenges, it can come out as with toddlers as like a a lot of tantrums can come out when a child is 10, like with lying or challenges or or with a teenager or in the twenties, like at some point in your life, your bottled up stuff is probably going to come back mm-hmm. <laughs> and affect you in yeah. some way. Yeah. yeah, totally. Oh my goodness. Well, we didn't really get to, I know we're coming to um, a hard stop here and we didn't really get to dive too much into sleep, but I feel like we're at a good point where we could 
save that for like a whole yeah. another episode. What do you guys think? Um, I know you you just had a question there, and I might since we started talking about crying, just say a word about what to actually do. So yeah, that, absolutely. Yes, Leave them with some actual actionable items to yeah. to kind of move forward on. Okay. This sounds so okay. So this this it's so easy in theory. When your baby cries beyond needs, you don't know why they're crying. Just hold your baby and listen. <laughs> it's really that simple in theory. Actually doing it can be another story for a lot of people, and not for everyone. For some people, it's really that simple. Um, but some other kind of tips around it are hold your baby in a way that makes eye contact available. So like a lot of you know it's a very common thing to hold a baby up on your shoulder, but that takes the baby out of eye contact. So that's actually a way to stop the crying. So you want to hold in some way where you have eye contact. Um, I have very specific experience with that. If I hold her, if I put her up, she'll usually stop. But if I hold her more like cradled and look at her, the cry will last longer for sure. And then she'll settle down. Um, and I remember the first time it ever happened, it like gave me again, all the goosebumps (laughs) and I, and I, I'll never forget it. It was very early. And I'm so grateful because I, we interviewed Liz when I I was just like a week or so into motherhood. And so that was very, very powerful. And I feel very fortunate for that. So just as a quick anecdote, that is so real. (laughs) And so interjecting a little bit too, because I know one of our go-tos with both of our kiddos was, okay, they're really upset. I'm going to put her, put them in the ergo and we're just going to walk. And that would usually do the trick. So what you're saying is basically that's just a way of distraction. And yeah. so you really just need to try to avoid that at all, if at all possible. Great. That's another tip. So if you find that you're doing something to stop the crying. Um, so so another, another um, approach on this is sometimes parents will say, but my baby never cries. So the question there is, is there anything that you do that if you didn't do it, your baby would cry? So if you find yourself doing something that keeps the baby from crying, or if there's something like you just habitually do that if you didn't do it, the baby would cry, that's the key. That's the gem. That's where you can get to the crying in arms. Um, And also fussing, it doesn't always look like full out crying at first sometimes it's just fussing so if they're fussing and you've already met needs that's that will lead into a cry um and the thing about yeah ways to hold sometimes uh, a common question is but isn't my baby my baby seems uncomfortable if i hold her this way and cradle hold you know as opposed and she really likes on the shoulder she stops crying on the shoulder that's probably more about actually um the baby is getting the cry out in that position, whereas they're stopping the cry up here. So, And a um, quick, because I know Laura's kind of dealing with this too. I keep saying a quick one, one more thing. Um, but like, how do you discern, for instance, like my kiddo's getting molars in right now. She's normally a very happy child. Um, and it seems like it's related. So how do you, you know, you want her to feel physically comfortable, but there's no real way of knowing because she can't tell me. And same with Laura right now. I know she's assuming some of the fussiness that Evie's having is because of teething. Um, do you still treat it the same or? It seems like a very specific kind of fuss, like, uh, like this, it just, it hurts. It hurts, you know, like hand in the mouth versus like her other cry where sometimes it's just like, I feel like she just needs to cry. So 
So we always go back to looking for needs. Um, so, so this can go two ways. If the need, if there, if so, for teething, if there's something you can do, like to give them something to chew on, like that may help that part of it. But also, on the other hand, it's also just basically accepting the emotions. So, even if the child is sick or teething, if the child is crying, welcome it. Like, okay, so just because they're sick or teething, you don't have to stop the crying because of that. Um, and normally that cry will still help things move through. Um, I have had some babies where they seemed like they were in pain and it really bothered them, but then they had a big cry and then they were still chewing on stuff, but they weren't crying. So it's kind of like, hmm. no, I think that was us two nights ago. She just needed to cry. And so like, we went in, we, we thought we had gotten her down and then we each had to go in a number of times and soothe her. And she, she just cried a lot. And then la- that was two nights ago. And last night, same, um, mouth hand chewing on stuff, but not nearly as much crying. So, uh, that actually makes a lot of sense and is good to know because we're at the very beginning of this. <laughs> and I, and you're kind of speaking, Laura, opening up the door a little bit to like crying and, and how early it's to sleep. And I just, cannot wait to talk more about that too, because I know that's a challenge in and of itself for a lot of parents. Um, I think we should try and have the follow-up soon. Yes. <laughs> I know people are like waiting at the edge of their seat for this stuff. So we maybe we can even do another one. I don't know um, how quickly you can get back on Eliza, but we can do another one pretty quickly. I think that I'd love to tackle some of these more specific questions and really get into sleep. Let's see what we can do. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I know. So we're kind of, did you have anything you wanted to add as a last minute wrap up? Wrap up? Um, is, are we still, well, just that, just, just the stuff about that I would tag on to how to find me, et cetera. And yeah, when we- absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, tell us where we can find you, how we can connect with you. Do you say, I, I mean, you're giving away so much information to people, but say if someone really needs one-on-one um, help with some of these topics, like, do you do that? Just, just tell us your whole, tell us all. How do we get, how do we get to you? Great. That's going. So I do, I do one-on-one Skype consultations. So if people anywhere in the world, you can find me at ConsciousBaby.com, C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S, baby. <laughs> dot com i'm on so that's my website i'm also on facebook um and my email is eliza at consciousstage.com so it's like while we are we are talking about lots of information for free but it's also like it can be really different depending on your situation and like we can't really speak to specific situations without knowing more of the details because we're looking at underlying needs so mm-hmm. I need to be able to see, like, if if they've tried to wear parenting and you're still having challenges, it's like, we need, I can help you kind of sort out what's normal in the realm of wear parenting and what might be like a food sensitivity or a metal, you know, absolutely get something else checked out. So, and also just because this approach, while it's highly respectful and amazing, it's not the norm. It is not the cultural norm. And so expect to have questions. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it can be really helpful 
if you're new to this and to listening to crying to, especially if you weren't raised this way, to have someone to walk, to go through it with you. So definitely don't hesitate to reach out um, with questions. And I do, so I do sleep consultations as well. Um, I don't have any online classes going right now. It's some, someday I will. But, but also I'm a huge, huge supporter of mamas reaching out on gut feelings. So, so often, especially moms, will have a gut feeling about something movement-related or this, crying in sleep. But they'll wait, kind of try to wait it out and see if it gets better. Or the pediatrician will say, oh, it's fine. It'll grow out of it. Just wait. And I would say, do not wait. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and reach out if you're having a gut feeling. And even if you don't know what it is, you're just like, I have a gut feeling, reach out. Because when we look at things, babies communicate to us really early on. And there are things we can do preventative that are much easier as opposed to later once the habits really get set in. Awesome. Yeah. And I I do offer an uh, initial about 30 minute um, chat, no charge. So wow. Amazing. You are <laughs> awesome. Um, thank you for sharing that. I, I just have a feeling there are quite a few mamas out there that have just been like waiting for someone like you to kind of just come into their lives. And I'm so grateful that we can share you with our tribe and group of listeners so yeah this is amazing thank you so much I also I mean likewise I want to find the families that want and need this information because it's about so much more it's about this but it's yeah yeah so much absolutely well we're definitely going to have you back on um like I said 10 more episodes that's cool with you right (laughs) at least one for now (laughs) um so as far as us um as always, um, if you like what you are listening to, please uh, rate us and write a review on iTunes. Make sure you're subscribing because we are bringing amazing speakers like Eliza on all the time and also dropping our own knowledge in different areas. So, um, And the more you guys do that, the more reviews, the more subscriptions, the more other mamas will find us and be able mm-hmm. to have access to this information as well. So it's really an important way to just kind of share the love with other mamas too. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you can always, as... As always, you can find me at jess.holdthespace on Instagram and holdthespacewellness.com and Laura at laura.radicalroots. That's right. And myradicalroots.com. And you can email us at modernmamaspodcast at gmail.com. And as always, you can find show notes for every one of these episodes with links to the things that we talk about on both of our websites. So pick whichever one you'd like, click on podcast and it'll all be there for you to find and click and enjoy. Yeah. And definitely there'll be live links to Eliza's website um, Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So you can get in direct contact with her via that. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you next week. And thank you so much, Eliza. Yeah. Thank you. Bye Bye guys. Bye. Hey guys, Jess here. Just wanted to give you the heads up on a great deal that we don't want you to miss out on. Laura and I have recently teamed up with our friends at ButcherBox to bring you an amazing offer on premium grass-fed hormone and antibiotic-free meats delivered right to your door. 
We've absolutely been loving the opportunity to put together our own custom boxes of the highest quality beef, pork, and chicken. And we definitely don't want you guys to miss out on the chance to try it too. Right now, if you visit butcherbox.com forward slash modern mamas, you get the chance to get $10 off of your first box plus two free 10 ounce grass fed ribeyes. You definitely don't want to miss out on this deal, friends. So get on it. <laughs> 